The last week. Can you believe it? Can't believe it. Eight weeks in Habakkuk. All right. Since we have come to the last week of Habakkuk, before we actually get into the study tonight and sort of bring this whole study to a close, I want to teach you a Hebrew greeting tonight. Okay? All right? So, in Israel, the common greeting of someone when they come up to someone would be, Shalom Halakam. You got to get that, like, you know, in your throat, all right? Shalom Halakam. And then the response is, Halakam Shalom. So what that is, is that is, Peace be unto you, Shalom Halakam. And then Halakam Shalom is unto you, peace. All right? So you know some Hebrew. So there you go. All right? So here we go. Let's, let's, let me, let me, let's practice this, all right? I'm going to greet you. Shalom Halakam. Thank you. All right. There you go. I <laughs> know. Aren't you glad you don't live in Israel? No, I'm just teasing. All right. So before we get to verses 17, 18, and 19 tonight and wrap this up, I just want to sort of bring this to a, to a summary tonight to where we are landing tonight. First of all, we are dealing with developing what we call high-altitude faith. Mountain climbing faith, because that's what verse 19 says, the very last verse of chapter 3. He enables me, God, to negotiate the rugged terrain, to to step on the high places, and we're going to talk about that tonight. So God wants to develop high-altitude faith in us so that we can navigate the most difficult roads that we're going to have to navigate in life. Now, a couple things we've already learned. One, even the name Habakkuk means to embrace, but not in a huggy way. It means to grab a hold of and and sort of uh, let uh, get a hold of something. It's, It's more how a wrestler in a contest would grab a hold of their opponent and not let go. And that was an important thing because we have learned through this study that Habakkuk has struggled with God over his decision Not so much to judge the people of God because they, in a sense, deserve judgment because they've turned their backs on God, but the fact that he's going to use the Babylonians as his instrument of judgment. And yet throughout it all, Habakkuk grabbed a hold of God and did not let him go. And that's one of the key aspects of learning to develop a high-altitude faith. Not to get angry and bitter with God and walk away, but to grab a hold of him and wrestle with him over these things and talk to him about these things and continue to communicate and know that God will respond as he did to Habakkuk. God revealed some of why he chose the Babylonians. But we also learned another aspect of high-altitude faith, and that is that you and I have to get to a place in our life where we learn to follow a God that we won't always understand. God's not always going to make sense to us. His decisions and choices are not always going to to be able to be sort of uh, understood in our finite minds. And yet we've got to learn to trust Him. 
And that's what Habakkuk, the prophet, was learning to do. Yes, even the prophet of God. Now, we don't always have to have the answers. We won't always have the answers, even as God's people. If we understood everything that God did, we'd be God. And we will never be God. Even as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, I won't always understand the ways of God. God will always be God, and we will always not be God. And so even when we get to heaven, there's going to be things that God does or whatever that we won't totally be able to grasp because only the great mind of God can understand certain things. Now, God doesn't want us so much to focus on the things that we can't know or don't know or that he hasn't revealed to us, but the things that he is revealing to us. And God certainly gave Habakkuk a lot of things to think about. He told Habakkuk, don't think that the Babylonians are going to get away with their wickedness. I'm going to judge them for what they do as much as I'm judging my people for abandoning me. And remember this, Habakkuk. I'm doing all of this because I love my people. And they need to come back to me. They need to repent of their sin and they need to come back to their God or else they will continue to suffer because of their lack of faithfulness in their life and faith towards me. So last week we saw that God, as Habakkuk was continuing to, to pray to God, that God sort of gave Habakkuk this vision of, of him delivering his people from Egypt. And how amazing it was. I mean, I, I really believe that Habakkuk was given a vision to where he, he saw the Red Sea parted. He, he saw, you know, the pillar of fire and the cloud, and he saw these amazing things. And he recounts all of that in verses 3 through 15 of chapter 3. The deliverance of the people of God from Egypt. And he is blown away. We ended last week with the reeling of the prophet in verse 16. I mean, he's just astounded and dumbfounded at what he saw. And the thing that we really zeroed in on was the fact that God revealed himself as the divine warrior. Notice in verse 6 of chapter 3, God takes his battle position and shakes the earth. In verse uh, 8, he mounts his chariot, his victorious chariot. Verse 9, his bow is ready for action. Verse 13, you God march out to deliver your people. We talked about the fact that the Lord will fight for us so that we can be still and rest in him and be settled. And there's many verses in the Old Testament that talks about God as the divine warrior. We looked at those last week. Exodus 15.3, Isaiah 42.13, Zephaniah 3.17, all reference God as the divine warrior who will fight for us. Again, that's why David could go out and face his giant Goliath. Because it wasn't David who was going to fight Goliath. It was God who was going to fight Goliath. It was God that was going to energize those stones and slay the giant Goliath. David just had to be faithful and do his part. God would fight the battle. So, in all of this, through all of this, Habakkuk has been learning 
about this high altitude faith that he was going to need and that the people of God were going to need for what was coming. Because it was going to be a Babylonian invasion led by King Nebuchadnezzar and it was going to be awful. There's, there's just no getting around it. Nebuchadnezzar and his army from Babylon surrounded the city of Jerusalem and for two years basically laid it under siege. Many of the Israelites starved to death. I mean, it, if you read the historical account of this, it, it was bad. So in verse 17, the first verse we're going to look at tonight, Habakkuk here, we see the realization of the prophet. And why I say the realization is Habakkuk's not this pie in the sky, by and by, everything's going to be okay, when everything's not going to be okay. And everything in life isn't always going to be okay. God wants his people to face reality. And the reality is, as long as we are living on earth, as Jesus said in John 16, 33, in the world you will have trouble and suffering. Somehow, I think there's a lot of Christians that don't want to face that reality. Even though Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble and suffering. But he does say, but be of good courage... I've overcome the world. And in me, you can overcome anything in the world too. But in the world, you'll have trouble and suffering. Paul said, all that want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Peter talks a lot about suffering in 1 Peter. I mean, it's just part of our living life and going through life. We're going to have to go through times of suffering and trial, you see. And so we have to learn to face the reality of it. And that's one of the aspects of learning to have high-altitude faith. It's not, not denying reality, not pretending like everything's okay when everything's not okay, but facing reality, but facing it with faith in God. So notice what Habakkuk says in verse 17. When the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines... When the olive trees do not produce and the fields yield no crops. When the sheep disappear from the pen and there are no cattle in the stalls. Let me just stop right there. Pretty, pretty bleak picture, right? For a couple of reasons. Number one, we understand, especially at this time in history, the Israelites were pretty much an agrarian society. In other words, their economy depended on the products and resources that are listed here. And basically he's saying, our economy is going to collapse. We're going to go from having food and, and, and having things to not having hardly anything of ours. Everything's going to be wiped out and gone. We pretty much are going to lose everything. So all the products and resources listed in verse 17 are not only tied to the economy of Israel, but they have a spiritual significance as well. The fig tree, the olive tree, and the vines that produce grapes were also symbols in Israel in the Old Testament of God's blessing upon His obedient people. So in a sense, not only are the physical things being taken away, but God is saying, I'm taking away my blessing. Because God warned them 
through Moses and through the prophets. If you obey me and follow me, you will be blessed. But if you disobey and you are unfaithful, you won't be. You will lose out on the blessings. And so again, Habakkuk is facing the reality of this situation. Here come the Babylonians. They're getting ready to come in. And they're going to take everything. And we are going to lose everything. But now notice in verse 18, the resolve of the prophet. I will rejoice because of the Lord. I will be happy because of the God who delivers me. That is learning to have high-altitude faith. Now think about what Habakkuk's saying. He's saying, we're getting ready to lose everything, but I'm still filled with joy. Wow. Because notice a couple things here. First of all, notice that he has learned through this wrestling with God and all of this with God, that his joy and his happiness are not tied to his circumstances. They're tied to his God. Let me share a couple other things here from the Hebrew. The word rejoice in verse 18 means to jump for joy. You'll, you'll see a lot of expressive words here. Habakkuk says, I'm going to jump for joy, even though I'm going to lose everything. Because my joy is in the Lord. And that can't be taken from me. I've got this relationship with my God that even if I lose everything, I can still rejoice. Isn't that what Paul even said to the Philippians? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Our joy and our happiness is not to be found as Christians in our circumstances, in our seasons of life, in in what we have and what we don't have. Because as we know, even Job said, and even we sing, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Paul said, I've learned to be content whatever situation I'm in. Sometimes I've had a lot, sometimes I haven't hardly had anything. But our joy and our happiness is not to be found in other things other than God alone. Because when our joy and happiness is found in God alone, then nothing can ever affect our happiness. It's amazing to me that if we say that ignorance is bliss, why aren't more people happy? (laughs) Because our happiness is tied to reaching for something else other than God in our life to make us happy. If I'm unhappy, I reach for this. I reach to this person. I reach to to buy this. I reach to add this to my life. But but Habakkuk saying, no, high-altitude faith is... I could lose everything in my life, but if I have God, that's where my joy and happiness is centered. See, Habakkuk has learned to rest in the sufficiency of God alone. So that everything could be taken from him out of his life, and as long as he has God, then he has everything that he needs. 
Sometimes we may get there, whether physically or even spiritually or mentally in our life, where we, we get to a place in our life where we have nothing but God. And it's at those times that we realize that even though I have nothing but God, God is all that I need. I don't know whether you've gotten there, but that's where God wants to get all of us. It's not that all of us will ever lose everything. Maybe we won't. But what it does is having that kind of faith and that attitude insulates us from ever losing our joy and our happiness. Because then there's nothing that can be taken from us that our joy and happiness is connected to other than God. That's mountain climbing faith. That is high altitude faith. Is that where our joy is? Is that where our happiness is at? I will be happy, Habakkuk says, because of the God who delivers me. The word happy not only means to be glad or joyful, another expressive word, it means to spin around. So notice what Habakkuk has said here in verse 18. I'm going to jump for joy because of my God, and I'm going to spin around. The Jews were very expressive in their worship of God. They didn't mind being expressive like that. Some of us, we have a harder time with that. But we're working on that as well, right? Notice something else here. In verse 19, I'll just say this and then come back to He calls God the sovereign Lord. And I want you to note here that in these two verses, verses 18 and 19, he's used three different titles for God. In verse 18, the word Lord is Yahweh or Jehovah. Then the word God is Elohim. And then in verse 19, sovereign Lord is Jehovah Adonai. Now, why is that significant? For this reason. It is is sort of symbolic, if you will, that Habakkuk really knows God well. It's just like you and I. If you know somebody better than you know other people, then there's multiple names that you know them by. Whether it's a nickname or a family name or something that you just call each other that, you know, others don't or whatever. It's sort of a sign that there, there's an intimacy, there's a, there's a relationship, there's fellowship going on here. And that's what we see with the prophet. He knows God. He knows him as Jehovah. He knows him as Elohim. He knows him as Jehovah Adonai. He, he's, no, because he's, he's grabbed a hold of God and he's never let go, even though God has puzzled him and, and perplexed him and, and just, you know, yet he's never let go. And he's always had this interaction with God. And he's finally come to the place where he says, God, even if I lose everything, even if we, your people, lose everything through this Babylonian captivity, I am choosing, I am resolving to rejoice and be happy because of you. And that can never be taken away from me. 
Notice he also says in verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my source of strength. Not only will I rejoice and be happy simply because of God. That's where my joy and happiness is centered, in God alone. Not in anything or anyone else. But he says, if I have any strength at all, it's in the strength that the sovereign Lord furnishes me, supplies me, and provides for me. He is my source of strength. Now the words Jehovah Adonai remind Habakkuk and should remind us that that means that God is the absolute ruler of the universe. And as that then, he is the ultimate resource for Habakkuk and for us. The words source of strength in the Hebrew means he's my power, he's my ability, he's my wealth. Literally, it means God is my personal army. And you think about that in relationship to what Habakkuk said earlier in chapter 3 about God having his battle position and, and getting in his chariot and marching out to deliver his people. Habakkuk is saying, I've got the sovereign Lord, the ruler of the universe, as my source of strength. You have him too. In other words, we have unlimited resource because we have God. We have all the strength or power we will ever need. We have all the ability or capacity we will ever need. We have all the wealth we ever need because everything that we truly need, we can find in our God who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. God's our army. Is it no wonder then why Paul said to the Romans, if God be for us, who can be what? Against us. That's where Habakkuk was. He's, God, if you're bringing in the Babylonians and this is all part of your will and your way for your people, I'm good with it. Because I know one word from you and pff, they'd be gone. They'd be defeated. No one can stand before you. I mean, we just sang, you know, one of the songs in the car. There's no one like our God. No one can stand before him. That's where Habakkuk was. God's my army. I've got nothing to, to fear. I'm going to rest in the sufficiency of God. And we can see that God was certainly faithful even through the Babylonian captivity. We talked a little bit about this last week. When you think about the book of Daniel with Daniel and his friends being shipped off as very young men into Babylon, but yet look how God used them and look at how God blessed them. God was going to bless those who were faithful to him because God always has a believing remnant. Even when other people depart God and are unfaithful, God always has a few people who again grab a hold of Him and won't let go and are faithful to Him. And God was faithful to them. Even during the Babylonian captivity, He blessed them. And He used them. And He created such a, 
a strong spiritual group of people that by the time the Babylonian captivity was over after 70 years and they went back, man, they, they had their priorities right and they were fired up and they were like, we got to go back and we got to rebuild the temple. And then you go into Ezra and Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall and God's people finally, a, a few of them, they got it. And they brought God and the worship of God back to front and center in Israel once again. Now, it didn't last that that long. But that's what all of it did. Because the sovereign Lord is our strength. Think about what Isaiah said in Isaiah 40. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. If you and I have any strength at all to navigate the rugged terrain of life, it's got to come from God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13, Paul says. God is the strength of my life, the psalmist writes. Over and over and over again, we see that. But it starts with choosing and resolving to rejoice in the Lord, not in our circumstances. To be happy and find our happiness, our fulfillment, our satisfaction in God. And when we do that, I'm telling you, there is a strength that God gives us when we resolve to worship Him in that way, that you and I can't get any other way. I mean, nothing could come at us that we won't be ready for. Nothing can defeat us. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Paul said in Romans 8.37. And that's then when Habakkuk says, He gives me He supplies, He furnishes, He provides for me the agility of a deer. He enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. I'm going to come back to that. Let's talk about the agility of the deer. Remember, we could also use the picture because maybe we're not as familiar with the deer in that part of the world as we would be in our country, the bighorn sheep that are up there in the high mountainous places and and you know, the rocky crevices and all that and how they can navigate. And let's remember something. A deer or even a bighorn sheep is not the strongest of animals. How they are able to navigate the high places, that rugged terrain, if you will, is because God designed their feet a certain way. It wasn't, it's not their physical strength as an animal. It's the design of their feet. Their feet are shaped and designed by God in a certain way to navigate those kind of places. And what Habakkuk is saying is when you and I trust the Lord and we learn to allow God to develop in us that high altitude faith, He will literally design our spiritual feet to be able to navigate that kind of terrain. In other words... Whatever circumstances come into our life, whatever trouble and suffering and trial and all that does, God will design our spiritual feet to be able to handle it. And then he says, He enables me to negotiate the rugged 
to reign. Now, very interestingly, the word negotiate here in the Hebrew means to tread over or to march over. So again, tie that back in with what he said earlier in the context about God marching out, verse 13, to deliver his people. What he's saying is, when you and I follow the Lord and we allow him to build into our life the kind of faith that we need as God's people, we will start marching and treading over things as God, our God, does. Because isn't that what Paul said to the Corinthians? We always are led in triumph through Christ. Christ never loses. So if we're following him, then we march over things as Christ marches over things. And the words rugged terrain literally are translated in the Hebrew high places. But guess what? It also means the battlefields. Because the high places in Israel and in Palestine were not only the places of worship, where they would put their places of worship. It was also the place where battles were fought, on the high places. Everyone down through history always wanted the high ground, you see. I mean, even in the Civil War, you know, one of the things I learned in studying the Civil War is, whether it was the North or South, they always wanted to get to the high ground first, because whoever had the high ground had the advantage. Whoever was going up the hill had the disadvantage. And so he's saying here, listen to what he's saying. He's saying that God will enable us to march over or tread over the battlefields of life. It's not that we won't have battles. Because we even learn it through the nation of Israel. Even when God said, I'm going to give you the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It wasn't without having to go in and fight some battles. Now, God just said, if you trust me, I'll win those battles for you. You've got to do your part. You just can't sit back and let me do everything. You've got to trust me and be faithful. You know, you've got to march around seven times. You've got to blow the trumpets. Or you've got to go into AI and literally fight. But I'll fight for you. I'll fight alongside of you. I'll fight with you. And you will be able to march on the battlefield and win the victory. And win the victory. And then we talked a lot about this last week, so I don't want to dwell on it too much this week, but you know how this all ends. Habakkuk says, I want to take this personal struggle and, and my own sort of personal wrestling match and how God you know, patiently develop faith in me, even the prophet of God. And I don't want to keep this to myself. I want to send all of this to the song leader, to the worship leader. Because I want the people of God to benefit from what me and God have just went through. Because I know that I'm not the only one. That others can benefit from this too. So I want this to be now part of our worship and so Habakkuk sends it off to the worship leader. I love that. Because as I said last week, I, I think it's so important for us, 
obviously under the direction of God, under his leadership, at the right time, in the right context, in the right place, the way you and I expand our ministry throughout our life is when we are willing to be real with other people and share our struggles. Because then we're relatable. I don't know about you. I can't relate to another Christian who comes across as if they've got their act always all together and they never have any struggles. And they, I can't relate to somebody like that. But I sure can relate to another Christian who says, it's hard at times. And man, I'm going through the battles and there's struggles. And, and I'm even having some time with God here where me and him are just sort of like, you know, rather. I can relate to that. Because that's where we all are, if we're honest. And that's what I love about Habakkuk. As I shared last week, who are the most relatable Bible characters to us from the Bible? They're the ones that went through struggles that we can relate to, whether it's Joseph or Peter or you know, David or anybody like that. It's like, I, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. I can relate to a Paul when he says in Romans, the things that I want to do, I find I'm not doing, and the things that I don't want to do, I I find myself doing, and there's that struggle going on in his life. It's like, okay, I, I can relate with that. And too often, we as Christians, we limit the ministry and the impact and the influence we could have on others because we want to come across like, I got everything together. Never have any struggles, never have any problems. Never wrestle with God about anything. We're, I'm always good. If somebody sort of comes across that way to me, I just sort of scratch my head and walk away because I got nothing. But Habakkuk didn't. He said, I want everybody to, to know that even the prophet of God wrestled with my God. I didn't understand I, I didn't want to see this coming, but it was through my wrestling and grabbing a hold of God and not letting go that I came to a place where I realized that even if the fig tree doesn't bud, even if there's no grapes on the vines, even if the olive trees have no blooms, even if there's no cattle in the stalls, Even if I and the rest of our people lose everything materially and physically on this earth, I will rejoice in the God who delivers me. I'll be happy in the Lord. God wants us all to learn to rest in the sufficiency of God. To know that if I have God, I have everything. And so if anything or everything could be taken from me, as long as I've got God, I've got everything I need. Maybe you're already there. Maybe you're working on getting there. Maybe you're far from there. 
But here's the thing. As God did with Habakkuk, God continued to work and relate and communicate and move in Habakkuk's life and was very patient with his prophet so that he could get him to this place. Because when we get to that place, then nothing can defeat us. Nothing. There's absolutely nothing that can defeat us when we get to this place. We could lose everything and still wake up the next day and say, God, I've got you. And I've got eternity with you to look forward to. I will rejoice in you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we bless you tonight. God, we, we thank you for you. We realize, Lord, that living by faith is not easy. It's not near as easy as living by sight. It's hard to live by faith. But it's so rewarding and fulfilling to be able to live by faith in you, God. A faith that rejoices and celebrates the giver more than even his gifts. And God, as great as your gifts are, as wonderful as they are, God, may we all just rest in the sufficiency of you. In who you are and what you are to us, God. That if you never gave us anything, God, we would have enough just in you. God, I pray that for those who truly desire for you to create in them this kind of faith, that God, they would just continue to tenaciously go after you and grab a hold of you and not let go. No matter what comes into their life, no matter what they're going through, God, may they just continue to just embrace you. Realizing, Lord, that through the struggles, even with you, that God, this great faith can be developed. A faith that is stronger and beyond any of the circumstances that life could ever bring. A faith that can bring us to a place where nothing can overcome us and nothing can defeat us. Where we can march and tread over the battlefields of life in victory rather than defeat. God, strengthen your people. Help us to realize, God, that any strength that we have comes from the only source of strength we will ever need. And that is you, the sovereign Lord and ruler of the universe, in whose name we humbly pray tonight. Amen.